0: Welcome to Becoming. This episode is what you should know about pornography, formerly known as the subject that shall not be named. Our guest for this episode is the Tony Overbay. If this subject is a little intimidating for you, just trust us with this one. Tony is the best. He makes this topic so digestible and very appropriate for all ages. He has an incredible podcast called The Virtual Couch Podcast. If you want to learn more from him, it is such an awesome podcast. He is a licensed marriage and family therapist and shares so much of what he has learned as a therapist on his podcast. So let's get to it.
1: Welcome to Becoming, a podcast for teens and young adults, where together we are becoming more than we are and who we were always meant to be. We are your hosts, Tani Beardall
0: and Erica Peterson. Each episode will feature different topics to enhance your growth, help you see the world differently and discover who you really want to become. Welcome, everyone. We're so excited. We have Tony Overbay back on becoming Tony. Thank you so much for coming back on the podcast.
2: I'm like I'm so excited that I kind of am worried I'm gonna yell or I'm gonna make <laughs> the volume bad on the the audio. Or I'm just I'm really excited to be here, and uh, I was grateful that you guys thought of me with this important topic to talk about.
0: Of course. So speaking of said topic. We love that you have said this before, but I am a Harry Potter total fan, but (laughs) we, we love your reference of this topic. So we're talking about pornography. I'm going to just bravely say (gasps) surprise, surprise, but I love your Harry Potter reference, which is the subject that shall not be named like.
2: Why? Why? So, I mean, I still remember I would always say that, hey, uh, they couldn't say the word Voldemort and and we always feel like we can't say pornography and let's say it. and (laughs) Yeah. But yeah. So, I mean, in Harry Potter, they couldn't say the word Voldemort. It supposedly gave him power and it is uh, with pornography. We have to say it. I mean, we we have to talk about it and it has to not elicit this horrific response, especially from parents, you know, and so we want to be able to talk about it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so we're so excited. We wanted to cover this topic for a long time, and you've always been on the top of our list. The whole point of this is that the more we are educated and understand it, and are comfortable talking about it, the less we'll have the misinformation out there, and be able to have power to to change behaviors and to help us. But first thing we want to talk about, which we talked about on your previous episode for a short moment, but you have a great recovery program. Before we even get started the Path Back Recovery Program. Will you briefly tell us about that?
2: Yeah, no, I appreciate you saying that. So, and it's kind of fun to see, it's been around for a few years now, and it is an online recovery program, and and it's for it's for pornography, it's for compulsive sexual behavior, and actually, it's it's almost for any kind of coping mechanism that goes the way of an addiction, because a lot of these things, they kind of have similar roots. I mean, they come from this place of where when we don't feel, I don't know, good about ourselves or connected to maybe our friends or our family or school or any of these things, our brain often wants to give us a really quick release. And so the Path Back is just this recovery program that is very faith-based, very strength-based, and it's going to help you with ways that you can find healthy ways to kind of deal with life and become the person that you really want to be or need to be. And when in the process of doing that, The siren song of pornography will not be as strong, and you'll be able to turn toward maybe more positive coping mechanisms or behaviors.
1: Thank you so much for sharing about that. Yeah. So, I want to mention that some teens listening to this, they might have a perspective that's just coming from the places is this even bad? What's the big deal?
2: What's the big deal? I have to tell you what's so funny about this is somebody had mentioned me on Instagram a few, it was just maybe a couple of weeks ago and it was on my personal Instagram account, not my podcast, not my virtual couch Instagram account. And so I had just done the thing where I I saved it and I put it on my story and and I said, thanks to the person. And a lot of my kids' friends follow my personal Instagram account. One of my kids' friends, said they, they texted my daughter and said, Hey, what's uh, what's up with your dad and, and pornography? Like, you know, and then she said, "Oh, he helps people overcome pornography addiction, or or you know, people that turn to pornography for coping." And he even said, "Is that a thing? You know, is that a problem?" And it's like, okay, oh, wow. I'm, i I've helped about thirteen or fourteen hundred people. I've I've counted now, you know, in in my practice, not even people online that have struggled with wanting to just put this behind them. So you're absolutely right. I mean, people don't even know at, at times, especially. I don't know, some of the younger kids, right? I don't want to sound like this old man saying, hey, get off my lawn, kids. But, you know, it's that thing where, yeah, some of them don't really feel like it is a problem.
1: Well, and I look at it as I don't even care if you're coming from this, looking at this from a religious perspective, a moral point of view, or just because of statistical or logical reasons. We need to understand that pornography causes us harm in so many areas. And that's the thing. A lot of these teens and even a lot of adults I know don't understand that What seems to be a simple thing Mm -hmm. can really blow up and destroy your life, honestly.
2: Yeah. And as somebody, you know, like myself, who has kind of dealt with this for many, many years and again, helped a lot of people, I love that point that you're making. The data, if people care about the data, kind of made that crossover where it, it isn't just a religious thing. I think it's, there was some studies from a divorce association that said that there's a large component in over half of divorces now of pornography addiction or people turning to pornography. So yeah, we're kind of out of the woods. I mean, I've been doing this long enough where it, it was viewed often as, well, that's just a, a Christian thing. That's just a religious thing. And no, it's a, it's a thing that kind of keeps us away from these really powerful relationships with people. And then instead has us kind of turning to these relationships with not real people.
1: Yeah.
0: One reference that was really helpful to us when we were preparing for this episode was listening to your episode number 22 on the virtual couch podcast that talks a lot about that it is addiction. It has a lot of research, lots of information that was very helpful in anyone who's not sure or not understanding. Like I thought that that episode really helped a lot with the backing behind that.
2: No, I'm glad. Yeah. Yeah. Well, oh, I like where you're going there with the, even the part about the, the dopamine response. And I can maybe even and jump in and talk about that a little bit. Please do. Okay. So, so, and I appreciate your reference in that episode 22. I think there was, and I'm not good at episode numbers, but there was one where I also talked about this uh, concept that's called the Coolidge effect. And it was pretty fascinating. And that was one where you put a, a mouse in a cage and you put a female in there. And, and um, you know, for the sake of, I don't know, all the ages of our audiences, uh, they, they, they get together. Um, and then you put another, (laughs) you put another, another mouse in there. And then, um, now he says, Hey, I would like to get together with you as well. Um, but he, it doesn't want to get together with the first mouse any longer. You put the third mouse in and he says, I don't want either of the first two mice, but I'll get together with the third mouse. And he will essentially do this until he drops dead of exhaustion. And, and that, that pattern was found in, and I mean, almost all animals in the animal kingdom. And what's fascinating about that is, so now here comes the world of pornography So, when someone, where a girl sees a pornographic image, their brain kind of does the same thing where it says, okay, I have to pour out this chemical called dopamine. And dopamine, it's a feel-good chemical, but it's also this hyper focus chemical. If any of your listeners have have ever kind of dealt with symptoms of ADHD, for example, that's a lack of dopamine in the brain. So, your brain wants this dopamine to be able to just hyper-fixate and focus on something. What happens is what was happening with that, those mice is that every time new female came in, the brain just poured out all this dopamine and said, I must get that female. And, and this kind of goes back to just the way that, that we're kind of created that, to kind of find that love of our life and then do all I can to, to, to get her to, or, or him to really like me. In the animal kingdom, this is why peacocks maybe put a whole bunch of feathers up that are very colorful and beautiful, or uh, apes beat their chest, or, you know, this is that I got to do whatever I can to get that guy, you know, or that girl. What happens is when then people see pornography, their brain is just flooding with this dopamine saying, get that person. That that is gonna be the person you marry, who you're gonna have kids with, that sort of thing. And all of a sudden they click on another image and, and the brain says, Wait a minute, what uh, okay, everybody get that, you know, pour the dopamine out, hyperfixate, and get that person. And then every time they kind of move to a new image, a new video, those sort of things, the brain's like, you know, okay, more dopamine. They're kind of starting to fry these dopamine neuroreceptors. And what happens is then people then go back to view pornography at a later time. They need a whole lot more dopamine to even kind of get the brain excited. That's where people start to spend more time there. They start to just kind of mindlessly click. They may even start to look at things that they never in a million years thought that they would look at. You're gaming this dopamine system. And I don't say that from a place of, you better not ever do this ever in your entire life or you're a horrible person. But I think it's really interesting to just learn how the brain works. We want a nice, healthy brain. We don't want to fry out those dopamine receptors. And they do. You get a break from pornography and your brain's going to start going, okay, I got I to repair. I got to get back in the game. So I don't want somebody to feel like, man, if they've been looking at this stuff for a while that they're doomed. No, no, no. Let's just kind of start getting that out of your life. Um, I think it's pretty fascinating.
0: No, it's extremely fascinating. And another reference that you used in one of your episodes, too, is just junk food and how that gives us a good feeling because when we were first on this planet, it was hard to get those high-calorie foods. And so they produce that kind of reaction, and it gives you the dopamine. But the same thing is happening with this, and pornography is sexual junk food. And it's not good for you, but it produces those reactions. And I, I thought that that was a good... Reminder to us of it's not wrong that our bodies do these things that have these reactions. That's already built in, but right. it's not good for us to do these things repeatedly because it's not necessarily a healthy thing to do. Yeah, it's all kind the of that.
2: Uh, my, yeah, exactly. I was saying it's the it's the old moderation in all things. There's even a really cool study I'm about to do a podcast on that talks about even this concept of dopamine fasting, where you know people are kind of taking a break more from screens. They're taking a break more from some of these things that do give this instant reward. And so that then when they are being very intentional about doing an activity that, that they're excited about, that they're gonna be even more engaged, even more present. And I'm a big fan of just anything, you know, it's, I'm not saying that you, we have to be these complete robots that never act on impulse, but I think it's really powerful to be able to recognize, man, this is one of those times where I feel like I might want to go look at something and just being able to take that pause and stop and then, and then just kind of turn your attention somewhere else. Not only did you stop what could be a negative process, but you just did something positive. And it's like that net effect is so powerful. Those are the things that people start to build off of. I mean, when you can start to turn away from something that is so easy to kind of hook on to, that's power. And I love that. And I like that you said something earlier too. When people walk in my office, one of the first things I do, if we're talking about pornography, is I want to say, hey, um, God put us on here to procreate, replenish the earth, and we're going to find uh, people attractive. I mean, that's, that's normal. That's okay. That's a place we need to start from, is that it's okay to have those feelings. It's okay to have those emotions. And I think that is so important. We're only now, the last few years, really doing a better job at being able to talk about sexuality without shame. I mean, we want to be able to just say, man, yeah, I mean, those feelings are pretty, pretty uh, intense, aren't they? You know, what are those like for you? We want to have those conversations.
1: But when this problem elevates to a whole nother level, I mean, you've said you've helped over 1400 people that have noticed that this is causing problems in my life. I'm wondering what areas of their life are you seeing that are affected by this negatively?
2: Any kind of addictive behavior or anything, you know, this does come from this place of shame and it comes from a place of where people tend to feel bad about themselves, they oftentimes isolate or they withdraw. Even when somebody maybe has viewed pornography, they've maybe acted out, uh, a lot of times then they just say, okay, man, if somebody finds out about this, they are going to just think I am a horrible person. And so people will often then withdraw from social contact or they'll withdraw from human interaction, which only makes the problem worse because that's the thing where they'll start to just beat themselves up about you know, that I don't have maybe as many friends, or I'm worried that if people found out about this, they would think I'm this horrible person. They're actually turning away from the thing that could help them even more is that human interaction, human connection. Mm-hmm. I've got it. Can I read a quick story? I don't know if I've ever done this one before. I found this one, uh, this research in the 1950s. Have you guys ever heard about the cardboard butterflies? Do you know oh. this one? This one's fascinating. I love it. It says, Uh, Back in the 1950s, two researchers named Tinbergen and Magnus played a trick on butterflies. After figuring out which marks on female butterfly wings were the most eye-catching to males, the researchers created their own cardboard butterfly models. They exaggerated the patterns on the wings to make them brighter and flashier than would ever be found in nature. Essentially, they created the world's first butterfly supermodels. And the male butterflies fell for it. They went straight for the cardboard mock-ups and they tried to mate with them, ignoring the real female butterflies that were right there in plain sight. The males gave all their attention to these exaggerated pictures. And then in the story, it says, does that sound familiar? Like the Duke butterflies, pornography consumers can get so obsessed chasing flashy fantasies that they miss out on real life and real relationships. Part of this is just that isolation, that shame that comes from the compulsive behavior, the pornography addiction piece. And so people do withdraw, which only makes it worse. So the less we talk about it, then the more people do feel like this. What's wrong with me? You know, am I the only person that's doing this? And I must be a pretty bad person. And I need to then kind of withdraw, which is, is again, we need the opposite of that.
1: I love that visual perspective <laughs> of the butterflies. That's And that yeah. was back in 1950.
2: 1950. It the yeah, that was, it was pretty crazy, right? That's
1: amazing. So we know that this is crazy harmful to us. Mm. But can you... Tell us the best ways we can prevent this from becoming a problem or an addiction in our lives,
2: yeah, yeah, and and I love the question now i 'm old enough and have done this long enough that I remember still when we would talk about, hey, if you end up running into this here 's what you do you know, and now it 's a win, everyone is going to run into this, and for you know any parents that are kind of listening in, and my kids all kind of joke about this now that they 're a bit older, but we would maybe pull people together once a month or so on a good old family night, you got some brownies flowing. Uh, the smell of brownies in the air, and, and you might say, and it's not a hey, anybody seen any pornography lately? Because I mean, they, that's a easy one for the kids to go, nope, not me, you know. But yeah. but it's like, hey, w- when's the last time you guys saw something that that looked like pornography, and what was that? What was it? Where'd you see it? Where'd you find it? And just make it very conversational. I want my kids. I want kids to be able to go to their parents and say, hey, I, I saw this at school. To be able to just talk about it, because we got to get rid of that. Number one, we got to get rid of the shame. And and are you okay if I do my quick thing about guilt and shame?
0: Yes, please. Okay, so, I mean, this,
2: okay, because this one means so much to me, and I don't think I understood it for a while, and I don't know why I always use an example of uh, leaving a grandmother at the mall. I don't know if I've done this before, but, (laughs) you know, so uh, guilt, guilt is is kind of one of these normal human emotions. So guilt is if I, yeah, if I left my grandma at the mall, and then I drove home, which again, I don't, I like my grandma. I mean, I don't know why I would do that, but if I did, guilt would kind of say, oh, man, Tony, you left your grandma at the mall. Like, you know, it's kind of bad. You know, hey, why don't you go back and get her? shame then comes in and says, you are a horrible human being. Your grandma will hate you forever. And when everybody hears about this, nobody's going to want to be your friend. Nobody's going to play with you. You know, They're all going to steal your lunch money. They're going to throw you in a toilet bowl and give you a swirly. I mean, it's like shame comes in and says, you are a horrible person. We have to get rid of that shame. Guilt, and I used to not, I used to not be a huge guilt fan either. I mean, I would love it if we just kind of felt like, man, that just happened, but I'm going to be okay. But the shame piece is what is so bad. And that is the part where I feel like, bless their hearts, that means I can say something negative about parents now, but bless their hearts, parents who then say, you know, okay, but I gotta throw a little shame their way. Like, they need to understand how bad this is. It's like, mm-hmm. no, we understand that. Like, it doesn't feel great. I would rather err on the side of love and just say, man, thank you so much for coming and talking to me about this. I mean, yeah. that's that's kind of the way it has to be. Parents listen to this. Again, if I go big on this helping you know 1,400 people later, I have yet to be able to help somebody when it has been a shame-based approach. Literally, that is what people hang on to for a long time is they just keep beating themselves up and feeling like I'm a horrible person and what's wrong with me? Nothing, you're human and you've been triggered. You've seen things. Your brain has said, hey, here's this quick dopamine rush. It's okay. So we need to find somebody that you can talk to, open up. So they can kind of help you and help you connect more with people, real people, real relationships, because that's going to be a big key to this. I don't know if that, I forgot the question. I think I was on the little soapbox.
0: No, I loved that though. Thank you. (laughs) It was perfect. Okay. Um, The question was just how to best avoid it, which you kind of answered
2: with talking. Oh, okay. This is good though, too. All right. I will actually answer the question now. People will ask me often, hey, what's the best filter? What's the best way to avoid pornography? And there was a while that I would try to do all my research and find out the best filtering software's or the best filtering router and those sort of things. And again, I think that those are wonderful and I'm not telling anyone that they shouldn't have that filters on their phone or any of that kind of stuff. It is a great thing to have to kind of put a little bit of a pause before somebody really tries to find their way to some some things that maybe would be viewed as pornographic material in a perfect world in a perfect world (laughs) we wouldn't need the filter because we've kind of got these tools Uh, because the truth is people will find ways around filters people will find ways around all kinds of those things I'm not encouraging that because I do feel like it gives people a pause enough and maybe this is a nice place to talk about um, the trigger and the thought and the action would that be all right
0: That'd be great. Mm-hmm.
2: Okay, so in my Path Back program, one of the big things I like to talk about is this habit cycle. The habit cycle is there's a trigger. And so a trigger just means something that maybe is is going to cause one to think, cause one to kind of feel. And so a trigger for pornography, um, a lot of times people think that, oh, I saw this you know, beautiful person. But I'll tell you, one of the main triggers that I run into with teens and adults alike is I call it crimes of opportunity. I'm bored and nobody's in the house. A lot of times, if all of a sudden somebody finds themselves alone in their home, that's a trigger. So what follows the trigger is the thought. So the thought is, okay, I can start looking up pornography. And then the action is then actually acting out on that. I really want people to understand that trigger, thought, action. So in one sense, if we can't avoid the trigger, that's a great thing to do. And, and I like giving an example of, you know, if somebody does know they're gonna be home for an hour by themselves after school before their parents are there, and they know that that's maybe a, a time where it's really easy to kind of fall to this uh, this temptation of pornography, the best thing they can do is not be at home alone. You know, the best thing they can do is go over to a friend's house to study or that sort of thing. A lot of times people even say, well, okay, now that I'm aware that that's my trigger, I think I'm okay. And so sometimes it does take people a little bit of uh, trial and effort to say, you know, man, I, I was doing really good. And then all of a sudden just being alone in the house and that, that trigger, that's a little too much. So if we can avoid the trigger, I love doing that. But sometimes triggers are unavoidable. What we do next is we're going to have a thought. And I really want to make this point too. Your thoughts are your thoughts. Your thoughts are going to come. You're going to have happy thoughts and sad thoughts and, and, and irreverent thoughts and I don't know, all crazy thoughts and this sort of thing. And I love any chance I can get talking about this thing, it's called inappropriate thought syndrome. And all that means is your brain can throw any thought at you anytime it wants. Matter of fact, I think sometimes it has a good time doing that. There's these three points about this thing called inappropriate thought syndrome. The first one is everybody has those crazy, inappropriate, irrational, irreverent thoughts. The one I often have is if I get up on a building and I'm five, six floors up, my brain will constantly go, you could totally jump. Um, and then I get the little weird feeling in my legs or in my <laughs> tummy. And so the first one is, you know, we have those thoughts. People just have thoughts. They do. And they can be all kinds. They can be all over the place. You're human. It's okay. The second part of that is just because you have the thought doesn't mean you're a bad person. Doesn't mean you're going to act on it. I mean, take a guess on how many times I've jumped off of a very tall building. <laughs>
1: Probably not. Hopefully none.
2: Zero. You are correct. So, the, so the thing, just because I have the thought doesn't mean that I'm going to do anything about it. And then the third part, which I love, is that thought suppression doesn't work. So when you tell yourself, don't think that thought, and this is a part I love saying that your brain holds up a little sign and says, this thought, you know, and so it's like, no, no, I can't think that. Like, that makes me a bad person. The more you think that, your brain's going to, you know, just continue to say, what, this one, this one? Right, and this is that classic uh, anybody listening now, don't think of the white polar bear or don't think of the pink elephant. And anyone but a 12 year old boy is going to say, You know, oh, I did think about it. 12 year old boy's like, I didn't think about it. You know, I don't know what that is. <laughs> so, so that, that, that's so important with that thought part of that is, uh, is just knowing that your brain's going to just kind of do that with thoughts. And as a matter of fact, maybe this is a topic for another day, but what do you do with those thoughts? You know, you just kind of make room for them. You kind of say, Oh, yes, I, I see you thought. I see you. You know, inappropriate thought. There you are. You know, there's plenty of room for you in here. There's other thoughts that are coming next, so I'm not going to really react to you. So we throw got throw it the in prim- the back
1: seat. Yeah, throw it it in the back, back seat. seat of the car and keep
2: driving. Absolutely. There. Yeah. And there's you got a pretty big size van, so I'm sure that there's plenty of room in the back seat for that. And plenty of other thoughts too. Right now, my AD is kicking in, so you know, as a matter of fact, now start thinking about I don't know, a High School Musical the reboot, or start thinking about these things and get it back there with those uh, inappropriate thoughts and see what they do with that right <laughs> um, and so then but so suddenly you got the trigger you got the thought and then after that comes the action if we've tried to do our best to avoid triggers and in other ones like people let's get real on this i mean people people act out they take their phones in the bathroom for example if that's your trigger then kindly set your phone downstairs you know before you go to the bathroom any of those things that you're aware of that's your trigger and in my path back program i call it you know i got to have some cool phrase it's the red zone you know where are things the the, hardest? And the red zone. That's your area of trigger. So do whatever you can to take care of those triggers as best you can. Then you're going to have the thoughts. And again, just knowing a thought is a thought, you're going to have thoughts pop up. And and a lot of times thoughts are going to follow the trigger. Here's the key, putting distance between the thought and the action. Typically, once we kind of have the trigger and then we have the thought, we lead right into an action okay, we've already used a Harry Potter reference. Um, Sometimes I like Star Wars. Sometimes we feel like we're in the tractor beam. And so at that point, that's that transition from thought to action. So we have to put distance between thought and action. And there's a couple of ways to do this. The first way that we do it is behaviors. So this is the one where it's like, man, if I've been triggered and here comes that thought, Then I have people literally write out this trigger response plan. And what that will say is like, okay, first I'm going to drop down and do push-ups. Next, I'm going to run up and down the stairs. Next, I'm going to go run around the house. Next, I'm going to go, you know, pet my dog. Next, I'm going to call a friend. Next, I'm going to, I mean, it's like all of these things. You just put down this list of things that you can do, behaviors. That is a way to put distance between thought and action eventually, we want to get to the point where we're doing some mindfulness work. The mindfulness work will be that, you know, we, we won't always be able to go run up and down the stairs or pet the family dog. So at some point, we're going to get really strong at recognizing, oh, okay, that was a trigger. Here's a thought. And now I'm going to make room for that thought, like we were saying, but I love to put it in the back seat if you know if anybody listening to this is not familiar with a mindfulness practice here's one that I love this is an easy one and just a couple of times during the day just when you have a little bit of peace in mind just stop for a second and just breathe in through your nose and when you breathe in through your nose count one in your head and then breathe out through your mouth and count two And on the end through your nose, count three and try to get to 10. It is fascinating because a lot of times you'll be, you know, one, two, three, and all of a sudden you're thinking about school or all of a sudden you're thinking about a movie. And then it's like, and when you recognize that, don't beat yourself up. Just kind of go, okay, I see what's happening and start over. And then in one, out two, and just practice it. Because here's what's kind of cool. Here's what's happening. What you're practicing is when your thoughts are kind of going wherever they're going to go. And again, they're going to go where they want to go at times. When you learn how to do this practice of this in through the nose, out through the mouth breathing, it does a couple of cool things. It's teaching your brain to kind of come back to just being right here, right now, being present and thinking about my breathing. There's a side note that's pretty cool too, that when you feel triggered, one of the things that you start doing is your heart rate starts to elevate a little bit. When your heart rate starts to elevate, all of a sudden there's this part of your brain it's called the reptilian part of the brain, this thing called the amygdala, very fancy word. The amygdala starts taking over and it's going into this like fight or flight mode. Or so when, you know, when it starts feeling like your heart rate raise, it starts kind of going, okay, something's about to happen now. And the bummer is when this part of your brain gets activated, the part of your brain that really can think through things, this thing in the front, I've got a giant one called the prefrontal cortex. <laughs> the thinking part of the brain is starts to shut down because when the amygdala takes over, it thinks that, man, we're about to go into fight or flight or freeze. And so the, the rational part of the brain kind of says, hey, you don't need me right now. But that's the part we kind of need because we need that ability to rationally think through right now that, hey, I don't know if this is something that I really wanna do. Because when I do this, I kind of feel bad about myself and and then I isolate. So the breathing does a couple of things. One, it's training you to, if you're starting to think thoughts that you maybe aren't a big fan of, you're gonna come right back to my breathing. And the second part of that is by doing the breathing, you're gonna lower your heart rate and you're gonna allow that big old prefrontal cortex in your forehead to take over. And sometimes that's all you need to kind of go, okay, hang on, this isn't something I wanna do right now. So, so again, we talk trigger, thought, action. You want to put distance between the thought and action with, with some behaviors. And eventually, if you're practicing this mindfulness stuff, and I do it, all, I do it several times a day. It's just very calming. Uh, do it before you go to bed. Like That's a great time. That sometimes it can even help people fall asleep. And there's all kinds of cool mindfulness apps and things like that. You get really good at that. And you're literally training your brain that when you start to go to the, this breathing exercise, Your brain kind of goes, okay, this guy's no fun. We're not going to go look at stuff that's going to give us this immediate dopamine rush. The more you do it, there's some cool data that shows, you know, you do this every day for a few months and your brain starts to almost just do it kind of reflexively. As soon as you start to do the breathing and counting, your brain's like, oh, I know what we're doing. It kind of locks you in and you're able to kind of get out of some of these uh, sticky situations.
0: That's so helpful. I think that's a great tool. That everyone needs to practice, even if you're struggling with other numbing behaviors. Absolutely. so important. I
2: mean, mean, so (laughs) you really can use that in any situation to kind of get yourself back to just, just being right here, right now, so that you can kind of go after some things that you feel are important, some goals that maybe you have.
0: I love that. I wanted to ask the best way that teens can start a dialogue with their parents. If it's a teen listening and their parents not listening with them, I mean, one little tip you can use is to maybe listen to this episode with your parents. Absolutely. But um, I love your episode that you did with us where you talked about that EFT, the emotionally focused therapy. Yeah. And also, I love, love, love your episode on 3 and 30 where you talked about uh, parents earning their teens' trust and using that EFT as well. Yeah. And you have several episodes that talk about that on your podcast. But how can they start... That themselves as teens, it's it can be really scary and intimidating to start that discussion with them. How how can they do that?
2: I love this. It it is it can be scary, and I want any teen listening to this to know that even if their parents have not done this, you know, well or perfectly or talked about it in the past, that by no means means that they don't want to have this conversation. Parents are so aware of the dangers of pornography now because. You know, it's affecting their friends' marriages and their friends' lives as well, and it might have been something that they've even dealt with and maybe not gotten help for, and so they're aware. And and again, the fact that they maybe aren't good at talking about this right now doesn't mean that they don't want to. They really do want to. I love what you said about have them listen to this. I mean, that would be that would be amazing. Have them listen to this, and if you don't feel like you can sit right beside them and listen to it. This is a very, very positive strength-based podcast that is going to help a lot of people. So, even if you just say, hey, can you do me a favor and listen to this and I'd love to talk to you about it. I mean, I think that would be a really, a really great thing. We talked about this EFT that you're, you're mentioning it, and I'm so grateful for that. And I think on your episode, I even talked a little bit about what I kind of made up or call one man EFT. And what that is, is like if your parents aren't coming to you to say, you know, hey, tell me about the last time that you saw pornography. You, you, and again, bless your hearts, teenagers listening to this, because you guys, if you're listening to this, you want to do better, you want to change the world yourself. We need more of you on the front line right now to help with this pornography issue because it's not really going away. But there are, I mean, again, I will tell you, 1,400 people later and and countless numbers online are people that have been able to kind of turn away from this behavior and just live these incredible, productive, very dialed in to their partners, to their work, to their kids, to their school, to everything kind of lives. If you need to, you just ask your parents, hey, tell me what pornography was like when you were growing up, before TV, you know, or back before cars, when dinosaurs were around. What was the porn, you know, what was that like there? And, and just get them talking about it. And because I feel like that that will help then even start the dialogue. Uh, because at that point, maybe you can even share that, hey, here's what things are kind of like for me or what, what's kind of going on right now. That's a good way to start
0: I think with, with what you said, though, Tony, which was super pointed, like, oh, this is what this is like for me now. What we're hearing and what we're seeing and learning is that yeah. kids are being targeted. Teens are being sensed of. This isn't even something that you necessarily have to be looking for. It well, is okay, this in is their world. So um, yeah. I guess really understanding that this is what w- really looks like today.
2: Yeah, this is a great. I'm so glad you asked that question because, honest to goodness, it has evolved even in the the 15 years or so that I've been working in this in this area. And you know, kids, hang on for a second, but it really was magazines back in the day, and then it was pictures, and then it it came into you know uh, you can go view movies and that sort Mm -hmm. of thing. And I realized a few years ago, I started working with people a lot of teenagers that were saying that, oh no, I don't go to these sites and watch, you know, movies or videos or whatever. What I learned and I had a, a woman on my podcast named Caitlin Markham. We talked about dating in the modern age. And she talked about how there, you know, it really was a lot of people that are going on Instagram and they're kind of seeing other they might you know see a friend and they might see other people that are tagged in a photo and they might think that person's pretty or, or handsome and then they'll reach out to that person and And then they're just kind of, they start a dialogue and then it's almost like this numbers game where they're kind of wanting that same dopamine hit from the chase or wanting to finally have that person eventually send them inappropriate pictures or images or that sort of thing. I work with a lot of people now, especially teenagers who that's kind of what we kind of would refer to as pornography now, because, you know, it is kind of enticing someone to act out in ways that they wouldn't normally do so. And it's that same area of the brain that's looking for that dopamine hit man, I have two, actually three teenage, 2 two twenty something 20-something-year-old daughters and a teenage daughter. And when I found out about this, I said, how often do you guys have people that just send you things that might be inappropriate? And it was like, oh yeah, I mean, all the time. I mean, it almost, it kind of broke my heart, you know? I said earlier, I'm not wanting to go down the shame path, but I have also worked with clients now that the even the laws around this are, are pretty tricky. And so, you know, sending pictures or asking for pictures, it's a crime. I mean, depending on the age and that sort of thing, but there are people that just thought that they were just doing something very innocently and then a parent finds out or a teenager finally feels like, man, this isn't something I want to be a part of and it can really have some pretty serious ramifications. So, I don't want that to sound like a shameful or you better watch out kind of thing, but in the same breath, it's it's better to play it safe and, and not engage in any of those kind of behaviors. So whether it's uh, Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook, these sort of things, that is a form of pornography when you are asking people for nudes and to send these pictures and things. So I just kind of wanted to make that point too, that it's not just videos or that sort of thing that people are seeing on their computers or phones. So I hope that made sense.
1: It absolutely did. And something that is important to keep in mind, I don't want to shame or make everyone, anyone scared, but you really do need to know what are the dangers right now. And so yeah, you can't you really
2: do. Yeah.
1: try to um, avoid it.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I could, as a therapist, you could tell stories for days, but you know, the laws are kind of interesting where even if somebody says, hey, I am old enough, and then you find out that they are not old enough, it, there's nothing to kind of protect you there. You're still in trouble. Uh, yeah, yeah, you're still in trouble. So it's better to really work on this, this whole trigger thought action plan. And when you have the trigger and you have a thought of, okay, this is probably okay to do, or I'm starting to get that, that rush or that dopamine rush, that is all the more important to double down on those, those, that breathing, those mindfulness skills, those activities, the, you know, call a friend, uh, go outside, play with the dog, do these things because it's not worth uh, the risk of, of engaging in a lot of these behaviors as well.
0: Well, we want to wrap up, but I do want to just point out that your program does cover both pornography and the compulsive sexual behaviors. It can help with so many of those behaviors. Anyone who is feeling like they are without hope, that I know that your program is something that has provided hope for so many, and it is designed to help. The last thing I really want to wrap up with is how to help yourself, how to help a friend, be able to have kind of a path to some recovery right now?
2: Yeah, great question. And I, and I do want to kind of address, I, I love that you're saying that too, because the whole point of the program, the, the path back, or I mean, and, and I'm not just trying to pitch my program. There's a lot of people that are trying to do work in in this area it's never too late. I mean, I've worked with people that have literally been in their 60s, their 70s. I think my oldest is somebody in their 80s who have said, all right, I am tired of feeling the way that I do when I've looked at these things or when I've kind of done, you know, acted out in this way, you know, whether you're 12 or whether you're 80 or 100. It is 100% never too late to be able to turn away from these kind of behaviors. And again, I don't know if this will make sense. I was never good at math. I know the phrase, you know, exponential. When people turn away from a behavior, a negative behavior, It doesn't just feel good to turn away from the behavior, but then the direction they go, the strength that they get from that is exponentially better. And I Mm -hmm. find that people end up spending a lot of time and like we talked about earlier with this Coolidge effect, they spend a lot of time chasing this next dopamine rush. And so they waste a lot of time there too. When you can then do this breathing, kind of break away from this pattern of this this whole trigger thought action Mm -hmm. pattern and then start working toward things that are more important to you, It just creates a much better life. And then that call of pornography won't be as strong. And some people like to say that, hey, once you've kind of started down this path, that's where you're headed. Well, no, you can kind of get, that's why I called the whole program, The Path Back. You know, you can get back on the path, back to being the person that you know that you always wanted to be. And I will say too, I still get asked to do a a ton of interviews and I will get people from time to time that do want to just say, hey, isn't a little bit of pornography okay and again I'm going to come from this no no shame based approach but I feel like when people do have it even as a is a small coping mechanism they're really missing out on that opportunity to connect with others. And so in my opinion is it is a little pornography okay? I mean I kind of don't think so. I mean again I don't want to then put that shame in somebody's lap but I also feel like just challenge yourself to then see what what's the connection you can make when you're not turning to this kind of a coping mechanism. So just try to challenge yourself to turn away from that and then turn to connection with people and maybe start turning to helping others. And and I think that your initial question, how do you help others as well, is, hey, it's okay to start talking about this stuff in high school too. I wish there were boys groups, men's groups, women's groups in high school, where we have all these clubs and groups. I wish there were more of these, hey, let's say no to pornography clubs, you know, or pornography groups. We got to start bringing awareness because that's the thing where people now are growing up with it in front of them all the time. We started tonight by saying, there are people that say, what's the, what's the big deal? And I'm telling you, it, it robs you of real, genuine relationships with people. And that's what ultimately is is the most important thing. When we go through life, we don't remember a lot of the TV shows we watch or the books we read or the lessons we learn, but we remember the connection that we have with people. So we're not going to remember the hours spent in front of a computer or looking at pornography when we could have that connection with somebody. And I think I used to always say, people over pixels. I and mean, that's, the, that's the, <laughs> whole, the whole hope. Sorry, I like that, was, that.
1: That, was a, that was a soapbox. There. You're awesome. Tony, I seriously am so thankful for your perspective on this. I feel like you give it such a different light and it didn't feel heavy. I was a little nervous about this interview, to be honest.
2: <laughs> yeah. No, and It
1: didn't that. feel heavy. It felt hopeful to me. And that makes me thrilled to know that you are putting this out in the world and letting people know that, it is not too late, and it is okay, and we're just doing our best every day. We're just changing degrees, and if you change one degree on a navigation, yeah. you are ending up in a totally different spot, and that's all it's about is just changing little degrees
2: it's so good. And I'm sorry, I just raised my hand. But it's like, man, you just made me think of one more thing, which is, I feel like where there might even be people listening to this, and and they will try to change those behaviors. And they'll try to turn to people. And and it will be difficult because they already have this kind of, you know, their, their brains already starting to kind of say, I don't know, I kind of like this, uh, this quick rush, or this quick fix. And again, don't give up on this. I, I think I talk about this often when I have somebody in my office, and they'll even come and say, yeah, I'm really struggling. I can't, I can't get free of this. And and I might kind of challenge and give them a little bit of homework to do, or, or some things like that. And they come back a week, the first week, the second week, and they say, "Well, I didn't do it," you know. And it's almost like they're they're wanting me to say, "Well, I guess, uh, I guess, yeah, I guess we can't fix you." So throw in you know, the towel. Yeah, go ahead and go back. And it's like, no, you're worth every bit of this effort. And it doesn't. It might not happen overnight for sure. And so don't give up on that, and and don't feel like just because you know you might have weeks now of, of just feeling like you're on fire, and then there might be this. This again, burning to it, relapse, or any of these kind of things. And the best thing you can do is to not then go, Man, I blew it. So there goes the weekend, there goes the week, there goes the month. No, dust yourself back off and then start a new, a new streak. Because you know, you look at this in the grand scheme of things. And if somebody it was was kind of looking at this stuff almost on a daily basis, if all of a sudden they're looking at this and they're making it weeks at a time, and then they might have a, a little bit of a mess up and then they get right back on and there's weeks at a time, all of a sudden you've got these long stretches of time where they're just living life there might be this little blip and so don't let that look like the cm broken story you know it's the no you're human and you're making progress and man you should be praised
1: see what i'm talking about people (laughs) you just bring so much brightness and hope about this subject and I know that people are going to want to hear more from you and there's plenty of places to find you on Instagram, on your podcast, but you have recently put out a book that is making some waves <laughs> and I would love you to tell us a little more about what you've just written.
2: Yeah. So it is a book um, and it's in, you know, I kind of make fun of my own book a little bit, but it's, uh, it's called. Um, he's a porn addict. Now what an expert and a former addict answer your questions. So again, it's probably not the one that you're maybe having open in the book bag or, you know, carrying around at school or your parents (laughs) are leaving out, you know, when the company's around and that's okay. It's available on Kindle as well. But, but it's a book that then takes this person who was a politician. He ran a film festival. He he wrote for a magazine and, and he did get too far into his pornography addiction uh, to the point of where he was arrested. He actually did some jail time and he did some rehab and he came out and wrote a book about it and, and he has been clean and sober for years and he actually did about 70 or 80 podcasts. He came on mine and apparently felt a connection and so then he pitched me this book project where we took about 70 or 80 questions about um, pornography addiction, compulsive sexual behavior, betrayal trauma, these sort of things. I answered him as the expert, he answered him as the addict, and we didn't know what each other had written. And man, when you put them together, it it really does, I don't know, it's like uh, what chocolate and peanut butter of a Reese's, I mean, it just comes together, it's magic, and and it's really helping people, I believe, it's still hard to like uh, sound boastful or the prideful stuff, but but it's really the critical reviews are pretty insane and, and positive and just helping people understand what addiction can look like. Where it can lead, and without that shame, and trying to find ways to get away from that as as early as you can, so that you don't find yourself. Because no one, no one, you know, in their early teens thinks, "I think I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna be addicted to pornography." But man, you you become aware of it, you do these things we've talked about today, and you are well on your way to just this incredibly productive life. And you're gonna be on the front lines, be able to fight this. Which I need more people helping me fight this. You know. We need more people that have been able to overcome this and then be a source of strength to others because it is an amazing feeling to be able to help others with this. It really is.
0: Well, thank you so much for helping our listeners learn more about this. And we will be sure to give all the links to where to find you and to learn more about the Path Back Recovery Program. Thank you so much for joining us again. Oh, thank
2: you. you guys are awesome. You are. Thanks for doing the work you're doing. I love it. I do. We're
0: so honored to be like real friends with you. We are real friends.
2: <laughs> We're BFFs, right? We are. <laughs> totally.
0: Oh, Thank you so much, Tony. We will we'll hopefully have you back on again. We love having
2: Anytime. You. And I got to have you guys. I'm ready to have you on my show too. Oh, I love it. Okay. <laughs> thank okay.
0: Thanks, Tony.
2: Thanks, you guys.
0: Thank you so much for joining us today. Please click to subscribe and join us on Instagram. We'll see you next time on
1: Becoming.